Yep. Yeehaw. How many of you did not realize that Jonah was born and raised in Texas? <clears throat> hey, uh, th- this is an amazing set for Vacation Bible School, and a couple of people applauded. I think we can do better than that for the folks who work so hard to, to do this. This is amazing. Hey, at the end of last year, Kay and I led a tour to London, England for three or four days, and then on to the Holy Land for seven or eight days. It was an amazing time, and we are planning to do it again next February. There's details in your bulletin about that, but we have, uh, we have an information meeting on June 23rd here, uh, here in the South Auditorium, actually, uh, at 7 p.m., if you'd like to find out more about that trip. Also, we have a table in the mall, and uh, on your way out today, uh, Kay will be there, Karen, and, and uh, if I can get there as well, if we can answer your questions, it would love, we'd love to see you there. Maybe think about coming along with us. Well, we are starting this brand new series this weekend, Trip Advisor. Trip Advisor. We're looking at journeys in the Bible. Journeys are times of transition and challenge, junction moments. And so we're going to look at various journeys uh, over the next few weeks and see what we can learn. How many of you... Uh, you're, you're booking a trip somewhere, you're staying in a hotel, you're renting a car or something. Uh, how many of you have ever used TripAdvisor? Raise your hand if you have ever, raise it high if you've ever done that, okay. How many of you never raise your hand, whatever the question is from the pastor? <laughs> there is healing in the house, look at that. So, TripAdvisor, and we're going to look at uh, the story of Elijah again this week. Uh, A six-week trip, imagine that, a six-week trip which we're calling from the palace to a cave. From the palace to a cave, so let's dive in, 1 Kings 19. Now Ahab (coughs) told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he'd killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire came a gentle whisper. 
And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram, also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel, and anoint Elisha son of Shaphat from Abel-Mahola to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. I can't believe it, but it actually happened twice this last week. I lost my car. Nobody stole it. Um, I just parked it and I forgot where I parked it. Has ever happened to you? And it's, it's fine if it's Safeway or somewhere. You can just walk around pressing the remote if you have a remote, hoping for a response. But the first time it happened to me, we were at an event at the Pepsi Center in Denver. How many know this is agonizing? This is... And I thought, let's beat the crowd. Let's get out early. I said to my wife, honey, don't worry. I've got an app on my phone that will tell me where our car is. The app broke down. <laughs> Praise the Lord, I cried. And I'm, we're running around the parking lot, just pressing the remote, looking for the car. Uh, and then we had a short trip this week, and uh, the second time it happened, it was in the east parking lot of Denver International Airport. <laughs> a veritable ocean of cars. And I'm marching around praying the prayer you pray when you've lost your car. It goes like this, show me the car. <laughs> what do I do? I, I'm like, what can I, how can I get out of this? I've, I've got to... I'm in Denver Airport. I've got to preach at Timberline at the weekend. I can't call AAA. They'll say, how can we help you? I'll say, it's my car. They'll say, where is it? I'll say, that's the thing. I have no clue. I felt lost, bewildered, and just a little bit overwhelmed. I want to suggest that Elijah felt lost, bewildered, and somewhat overwhelmed. He received a FedEx letter, if you will, containing death from Jezebel the Queen. I mentioned last weekend that she is the Cruella de Vil of the Old Testament. The New Bible Dictionary comments on her, written by a British theologian. The article says that she was a forceful and domineering personality. That's classic British understatement, isn't it? That's like saying the atom bomb is a bit loud. This woman was really mean and she threatens Elijah he runs, he's overwhelmed he doesn't know what to do and he prays a prayer I've had enough Lord the literal translation of the Hebrew there is I'm up to here with this I am fed up he runs, he's exhausted, he's depressed now remember, this is the guy that had controlled the weather announcing prophetically a drought 
This is the man who had raised the dead. This is the man who had multiplied a meal for two years. This is the man who had called down fire from heaven on Mount Carmel. But now look at him. He's in a cave. He's depressed. He's exhausted. He's weary. And maybe you are too. I've shared here at Timberline on a number of occasions that some years ago I spent a year in clinical depression. I was a Christian leader, preaching, teaching, writing books. And I was experiencing a season of deep depression, anxiety, panic attacks. I was waking up in the middle of the night feeling like I was drowning in the dark. And for a while, I kept quite quiet about it. Some of you will understand what I mean when I tell you that not only did I feel bad, but there was an additional bonus for me as a Christian because I felt bad because I felt bad. I felt this irrational sense of shame about my struggles. Some of my friends weren't that helpful. They said, just pray about it. It will go away. They'd previously been employed by Job, I believe. (laughs) I know what it feels like to be overwhelmed emotionally. And Elijah experienced that. So what can we learn from his journey? If you're following in the bulletin, follow with me. First of all, let's see that the Bible truthfully reviews so many life journeys. The Bible truthfully reviews so many life journeys. TripAdvisor. The idea is that you get not just the advertising campaign of that hotel, you get an honest review of the reality. The hotel is nice, but it doesn't have a roof yet. The car rental company doesn't have any cars. You're supposed to get the truth. The Bible doesn't present us with airbrushed portrayals of grinning perfect people of faith, but rather shows us the reality. Jeremiah, incredibly faithful prophet who who sang praise to the Lord one moment and the next moment cursed the day of his birth, cursed the mother that bore him, cursed the guy that announced the news of his birth, cursed everybody in the nearby vicinity. If Jeremiah's looking miserable, get out of Dodge quick. You're going to get cursed. He went through that level of anxiety. Jonah, Jonah who stomped out of the revival town that Nineveh had become and prayed for death just like Elijah did. The psalmist who so frequently says, why? How long? Where have you gone? The apostle Paul who wrote to the Corinthians. Listen to what he says. He says, we don't want you to be uninformed brothers about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that we, listen to this, We despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. You ever received a newsletter from one of those evangelists and they're always in victory and there's breakthrough and there's answers to prayer and it's exciting and ecstatic and mildly nauseating. I mean, imagine getting a newsletter from a famous evangelist that said, Greetings, prayer partners. We've been feeling the sentence of death in our hearts this week. It's real. Jesus, I believed, experienced depression. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, My soul is overwhelmed. 
The word there is barrio, from which we get the word barometer, pressure, to be pressed down, to be depressed. When we look in the Bible, we see people struggling. When we look at Christian history, we see people struggling. William Cowper, William Cowper, this man, a Victorian hymn writer, friend of John Newton, the converted slave trader who gave us amazing grace. This man wrote some amazing songs about God's forgiveness. You might recognize this song. There is a fountain filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. But he didn't quite believe his own lyrics and struggled endlessly feeling like he was cursed beyond Judas, to quote him. Here's another famous name, General William Booth of the Salvation Army, troubled by the demands of his itinerant ministry and the pressures of leading the army, suffered deep depression. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, Martin Lloyd-Jones, many, many others. Madeline Lingle says this. She says, those who believe they believe in God but without passion in the heart, without anguish of mind, without uncertainty, without doubt, and even at times without despair, believe only in the idea of God and not in God himself. You see, I kind of feel like this. I feel like I want to run around this auditorium. I want to run around in the south where there are people gathered there. I I, I kind of want to find the people who are struggling with anxiety, perhaps with deep sadness or depression. And and I want to grab them and say, count yourself in. Because the Bible counts you in. The Bible gives us truthful reviews of journeys. Secondly, let's know this, that fear, fear is the enemy of faith. Fear is the enemy of faith. I think one of the reasons that this really broke Elijah was because he felt like he was a man in control. You know, I'm talking about losing cars. You'll be unsurprised to know that I also lose the remote control of the TV (laughs) on a frequent basis. And the design of televisions these days, I believe, is part of a worldwide satanic plot to irritate people everywhere because there's not a power button that's obvious on the TV. How many know what I'm talking about? And you're slapping the TV because you can't find the remote. The dog's eaten it. And then you find the remote and the batteries have run out. So you're standing there like this, hoping for something to happen. Elijah in his life up until this moment was like a man with a remote control. He just fixed stuff. We need a prophetic drought. Got it. We need someone to multiply oil in a widow's house. Done. We need someone to raise the dead. Okay. We need someone to call down fire from heaven on Mount Carmel. Click. Got that. Here's a letter from the palace containing a death threat. Fear was the missile that took him out. It's very calculated. Jezebel sends a messenger. Well, she would. She's the queen. But isn't it true that when someone else tells you that someone else is mad with you, that kind of amplifies the concern. And then it's a very graphic threat 
Scholars tell us that Jezebel, who was a fanatical Baal worshipper, which, by the way, included horrific stuff like child sacrifice, she would have stood in the palace and taken a self-imprecatory oath. It would have gone like this. She would have put this finger on her throat and she would say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow you are not like one of those corpses on Mount Carmel. Elijah would have seen that terrifying image in his imagination. One translation says that Jezebel included this statement, As sure as I am Jezebel and you are Elijah, I'm the queen, who are you? And his faith becomes a theory. Remember last weekend, the widow's house? He told her not to be afraid. Now he's afraid. He panics, he runs. He runs for his life and he prays for death. He gets isolated, he dismisses his servant. He's immobilized. All he wants to do is sleep. He is very afraid. I would like to give you notice that at the end of this service, we're going to do something that we don't do every week here at Timberline. We are going to have an opportunity for very specific response. And one of the things that we're going to pray about in a few minutes from now, we are going to pray for people who would simply say, right now, I am very, very afraid. We want to pray into that fear and ask for God's help. Thirdly, let's know this. Let's know that shame often locates us in caves of despair. Shame often locates us in caves of despair. Elijah's embarrassed. He has run away. And he says this. He says, I'm no better than my ancestors. Check that out. Whoever said you were? Whoever said, Elijah, that you were any better? But now, he is draped in this sense of real shame. You know, we Christians can be quite good at carrying shame around. Not good guilt, which comes from the Holy Spirit convicting us, but being draped by shame. Years ago, Martin Luther said, most Christians have enough religion to feel guilty about their sins, but not enough to enjoy life in the Spirit. And what happens is, we define ourselves by our worst moments. You have a little bit of a, di- a domestic tension or crisis in your family and you say, I am not a parent. Michelangelo came down from the scaffolding, painting the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, having had a rough day, and he wrote in his journal, I am not a painter. I think he was wrong, don't you? This week, I went to one of my favorite resorts. I love it there. The wildlife is amazing there. Birds skitter around. Sometimes whole squadrons of birds sweep in and they they land in beautiful uh, choreographed synchronization. It's a great place to go. Not much of a beach, it's pretty muddy. There are pools, but you wouldn't want to swim in them because they smell really bad and they're covered with a layer of grease and grime. But I love going to this place. I always enjoy it. 
It is the Loveland City garbage dump. I love going to the garbage and recycling place. Kay says to me, it's time to take the garbage. I'm like, woo! And I load those stinky bags into my car. Knowing that in a few brief moments we are going to say goodbye forever. I drive to the city garbage dump, the smell permeating the car. I drive up to the little hut where the concierge is waiting to greet me. I am organised, recycling plastic here, glass here, but most of all, the glorious moment of pulling up to the dumpster, lifting the lid, I take the bag out of the vehicle. We have a brief hug goodbye, for we will never meet again. And then, I throw the bag into the dumpster. I drive home. My car now smelling once again of Chanel number five. (laughs) Glorious relief to dump my trash. But here's what some of us did this morning. Time for Timberline. And we packed our emotional excess baggage and shame into the car. We drove here, we dragged it in. We sat here and we sang songs about forgiveness. We took communion. And in a few minutes from now, we're going to pick up the plastic bag and haul it over our shoulder and drag it out of here and haul it around for the rest of the week. Can I put it like this? Why don't we dump our garbage? I put this in this way deliberately. Why don't we dump our garbage where we're supposed to? at the cross of Jesus who paid it all. Please don't pick up that shame and carry it with you. Well, the last thing is this. Some vital truths for those of us checked into a cave. Vital truths for those of us checked into a cave. First of all, let's know this. God is faithful. He's so patient. First of all, God sends an angel to cook him breakfast. Did you know that there is a breakfast cooking angel specially trained in God's army. And God is so patient with Elijah, he repeats the same question twice. He is so gracious. Let's know too that not everything has a spiritual root. Not everything has a spiritual root. Sometimes we feel overwhelmed or sad and we think we put it down to spiritual warfare. Satan is camping in my bathroom or something. You know what? Sometimes we just need to get a bit more sleep. Step away from the donuts. Oh, forget that. I didn't mean that. Let's not go that extreme. But some exercise, some good habits. And, and, and by the way, the angel cooked Elijah breakfast and the Hebrew inference is that without that, the journey, he couldn't have survived the journey. If your doctor tells you that you need medication because of depression, do not allow irrational shame to further mug you. If you break your arm, you'll put it in a sling. Medication doesn't solve every problem, but if your physician suggests that that will be helpful, 
enjoy the benefits of that help. And then be honest with God. Elijah's really, really open and honest. What are you doing there? Uh, Notice, by the way, that Elijah did repeat the same speech word for word. One of our problems can be that we get, we get into a self-talk script where we follow the same rut in the road over and over again. Watch out for that, but be honest with God. And then realize that you might not be seeing straight. You might not be seeing straight. Elijah says, I'm the only one left. Wrong! There were 7,000 in Israel When you're feeling low, you don't always see things with perfect clarity. And Nay Nin, the French novelist, said, we don't see things as they are, but as we are. And then consciously enter into God's presence, whatever you feel like. Elijah's in a cave and God says, come out of the cave. Now look at this, please. Was God in the cave? Yes, But God was inviting Elijah, having run for six weeks, to take another ten steps out of the cave to make a choice to consciously enter God's presence. This is Horeb, the mountain of God. This is another name for Mount Sinai. It's 40 days journey. What what resonates here? It's the 40 day journey of Moses. Elijah's going to this place thinking... Moses met God there, maybe I will too. But you have to make a choice. Worship is not about how you feel. Isn't it boring when you wake up on a Sunday morning and you think, I don't want to sing any songs today. I don't want to pray any prayers. I don't want to hear any preaching. I really don't feel like it. It's especially difficult if you happen to be the pastor. (laughs) You say, surely not. Oh yeah, baby. Absolutely. When I'm not here, I'm normally travelling somewhere in the world, preaching somewhere, and I I attend a lot of Christian gatherings. I sing a lot of songs. And it doesn't happen here, I I don't think, at Timberline. You know know when you go to that service and you sing that song over and over and over? You are losing the will to live. (laughs) I mean, you start to sense that angels are sleeping and you... You feel sorry for God because he has to listen to it all the time. I mean, omnipresence has its drawbacks. And just when you're kind of just thinking, oh, please, no longer, then the worship leader leans into the microphone and says, do you know, heaven's going to be just like this. (laughs) Only longer. Worship's not about how I feel. Worship's about who God is. That's why I think we should sing less songs about how we feel. I am happy, happy, happy. And more songs about who God is, because that's always true. But when we make collective statements about how we feel, sometimes we don't actually line up with that truth. But coming to God's presence, whatever you feel like, and then don't base your faith on big experiences or in big experiences. There's an earthquake, there's wind, there's fire. But then something mysterious is stated. It says, but God was not in them. What's going on? Here's a, here's a question, a proposal. 
Is it possible that God was weaning Elijah off of the need for big experiences? And instead, it's a still, small voice. The Hebrew, called the mama Dakar, the silent sound. I love it when God shows up and does the big stuff. It's great. But I don't want to base my faith on that. There are times when my faith is just about walking in the silence. The silence of God. And not basing my faith on the big experiences. The last thing is this. Trust God when you don't understand. Trust God when you don't understand. Quickly let me tell you this. God told Elijah to do four things. Follow this with me if you will. First of all, go back the way you came. Okay? Secondly, God said to Elijah, anoint Haziel king over Aram. You say, what is that about? Well, although Elijah couldn't know it, Haziel was being raised up by God to attack Israel and take out Ahab and Jezebel. So this was all part of the plan. So go back the way you came. Anoint this foreign king. Step number three was anoint Jehu, king over Israel. And Elijah must have thought, this is really crazy. Because Cruella de Vil back in the palace is irritated already. Now God is saying, anoint another king in the place of Ahab. I'm done with them. I mean, you want to make a lady mad, just do that. And then lastly, fourthly, God says, and anoint Elisha to succeed you as prophet. Elijah needed a friend. He needed a companion. So here's the question. Did Elijah do what God told him to do? And the answer is yes, no, no, yes. He went back the way he came. He didn't anoint Hazel. He did not anoint Jehu. He did anoint Elisha. What happened as a result? 13 more wasted years, two more kings, sons of Ahab, as bad as their dad, because the plan of God, Elijah just couldn't understand it. And Elisha, 13 years later, followed through, anointed Hazel, anointed Jehu. The plan was fulfilled. Let's trust God when we don't understand what's going on. Let's pray together.